4, verse 9. I have already read that passage of Scripture to you, but I just read it to you. I want to open that passage up because that's an important passage of Scripture. It goes hand in hand with, with our parent-child dedication this morning. But I want, to, I want to talk to you this morning about that. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, open them up to Deuteronomy. Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We'll be in that in just a moment. The title of the message this morning is The Focus of Love. Man, love is something that we talk about a lot. Love is something that God has given us unconditionally. It is important to us to love others. But we're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to talk about this passage. This morning, we're going to set aside time to recognize the importance of committing our children to the Lord. We have done that this morning. That's the beginning process. Our commitment to them starts this morning. It goes on until their adulthood, until they're investing in other people. It's a time we set aside for that. But just as important as the commitment of these children to their parents, it's the commitment of parents back to the Lord. Parents in, in raising children. Now, this is very important. The church family is just as important as individual families in helping to nurture and raise these children. God has given us a significant responsibility to guide children into maturity. Man, he give us the gift of children, and, and sometimes it's, it's other people's children that we're helping with, but a lot of times it's our own, but it, God has given us a gift, and it's important that we raise these children in a godly manner because this world is full of what? Sin. It's full of brokenness. It's full of outside pressures that can change people, and it's always pulling on. Satan is constantly pulling on our children. Guidance of our children starts at the home. This is something that's important to me. It's something that's gonna, we're going to talk about it this morning. It doesn't start in the school. The school is not responsible for raising your children or guiding your children in the right direction. That's not where it starts. It starts at home. It does not start in the workplace. And let me say, as hard as it is to believe, guidance of your children does not start in the church. Ooh, that was a tough one, wasn't it? It doesn't start here. It's enhanced here. It's growth here. It's joined in with the family, but it doesn't start. It starts in the home. God intends for the guidance of the children to start at home. He said, well, Brother Kerry, not every home is God-centered. Not every home is God-focused. Not every home is centered around the Word of God. And that's a sad reality in this world today. Amen? A lot of people, a lot of homes don't focus on God. They don't have a focused time on God. Let me tell you something. We've been talking about the importance of the Bible. We've been talking about the importance of setting time aside for the Bible. We've even got into that delicate situation about, well, how often should I study the Bible? How long should I study the Bible? How many minutes out of a 24-hour day should I devote to the Lord? All those things are important. But, but there's not, a sad reality is that not every home focuses on God. And that's where the church has to come alongside of. Some of these families need help. Some of them need more than others. All families need help. Every one of them, my family needs help. Amen? Not as much as we used to. Okay. Boy, how we used to need a lot of help, didn't we, Trish? Guide the church. The, the church comes alongside of the home and helps guide children. One of the functions of the church is to help guide families, to guide them, but the, the church comes alongside of the family. It doesn't take control of the family. Guidance of these children starts at home. God has given us instructions on how we should live our lives as well as how we should guide and 
encourage all the people around us. God has given us these issues. God has some specific things that he wants followers to do. Sometimes these things are hard. Sometimes the things that he wants us to do are are difficult. We don't want to do them because they're too difficult. God wants us to love mercifully. That is a very difficult issue. He wants us to love others. He wants us to be gracious. He wants us to be compassionate. You like these words? This is what God wants us to do. We're going to get into his word. He wants us to care about other people. He wants us to walk humbly, even when he blesses us beyond what we deserve. And God blesses us every day more than we deserve. Amen? Man, we're blessed far more than we deserve. God, you know, God could have just let us go. He could have, he could have swept us under, under the rug and said, this, this group is out of control. We need to start over. i got to do a different plan next time. But that's not what he did. He loved us. He wants us to walk humbly even when he blesses us beyond what we deserve. Now, let me just ask you a few questions. What is the core to these things? What is the core of obedience, praise, dealing with people of, with justice and kindness? What is the core of walking humbly? What is it that God wants us to do? What is it that he desires? Now, let's look at this. When we open up God's word and we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it provides us with the answer. God wants us to be completely his. He doesn't want... 50%. He doesn't want 60%. He doesn't even want 99%. He wants us to be completely his. God wants our every thought, our every motive, our words, our deeds. He wants everything that we do to revolve around him. Amen? Man, that's what he wants. And that's what, let me tell you something. When it does, that's when life gets a little bit better. It doesn't get easier many times, but it gets better. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better than walking with God. Amen? There's nothing better than walking shoulder to shoulder with the Heavenly Father who guides me every single step of the way. Does the steps get easier? No, they don't get easier. Sometimes they're harder. But it's nothing better than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Marriage class, it's about a relationship. Small groups, it's about a relationship. Church service, it's about a relationship. Our Sunday school, everything we do is about a relationship. And that relationship is the fact that we want to get closer to the Heavenly Father. We want to know about Him fully. We want to know who He is. Let me tell you something. Do you want to know about God? Do you want to know about His Son? Do you want to know what He's done for us? you want to know how He can make your life richer? you got to get into His Word. You got to know him. He wants our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. He wants us to be consumed with his will. He wants all of us. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Deuteronomy 6, starting in chapter 4, says this Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on the sign of your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the city gates. Pray with me. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. It's Old Testament scripture. And these verses are referred to in Old Testament as the Shema. 
You know what that what word means in, in Hebrew, but what that word means to hear or to listen. The first thing Moses says is, is to listen. Moses is calling people to sit up, take notice, because what he is about to tell them is important. The first word he says is, listen, Israel. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm about to tell you because it is so important. He wants people to pay attention because he's, he's about to tell them something important. Listen up. I'm glad Janet's sitting on the front row. Amen. I'm going to call out teachers. Somebody already said that we got to pray for teachers, right? Because it's tough this time of the year. But let me tell you something. When a teacher wants to make sure the class understands the importance of what he or she is about to say, what's the first thing they say? Listen. Pay attention. And my growing, if it was Carrie, pay attention. Carrie, be quiet. you got to pay attention. This is what he's talking about. When a teacher wants to get your attention, the first thing they say is, hey, pay attention. This is important. You don't want to miss this. This is what Moses is saying. Pay attention. You don't want to miss this. But in case you miss it, repeat it over and over and over again. Moses said, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That is very important. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Don't miss that first sentence, okay? Listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Put everything that you have into it. Man, it's not a portion. It's not a a hit and miss issue. In the New Testament, Jesus goes on and he says, this is what? The greatest commandment ever written. That's what he refers back to. Christ himself says, you want to know what you're supposed to be doing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then love your neighbors yourself. That's what Jesus comes back and says. Now listen to this, verse 4. The Lord is God, the Lord is one. Man, when I looked at that verse of Scripture, I kept looking at it over and over. I'm looking at the word one stands out in that passage of Scripture. I know the, the Lord is our God. That's important. But the Lord is one. You think about how important the word one is. One is a very important word in the English language. Amen? Man, it's a, it, I want to be number one, right? We're number one. It's all important to us on, on a secular level as well. But it's important English language. The meaning of the word is significant. The Hebrew word means unity. It means to be united. It means to be one. It means unity, united, coming together, uh, 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 multiple parts coming together. Whether it's two coming to one or 50 coming to one, it means to be united. It also has a numerical oneness. In Scripture, we look in Genesis 2, 24, describing the oneness of Adam and Eve. One, when a man and a woman come together and be united as husband and wife, they go from two to what? One And let me tell you something, divorce doesn't separate back to two. Loss of life doesn't separate back to one. You talk to any of our, 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 our members who have lost a spouse, you tell me that they've gone back to one. No, half of them has gone. And that's the thing, as we go to one, Adam and Eve became one. The word one also carries a, an idea of uniqueness, Jehovah God. Is unique. Jehovah God is one. He's unique. He's the one true God. There may be many things that, that people call God. There may be many things that they use as a God, but Jehovah God is one. He's the one true God. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to command somebody to love somebody or to love something? Yes or no? Man, William says, I love Georgia football. And I want you to love it as much as I do. Is it possible to make somebody, command somebody to do that? No. Is it possible that I'm going to tell you, you need to love me? Huh? I command you to love me or love them. I'm going to tell you to do that. Is that possible? 
And listen to what God's, God's word says. Isn't love some mysterious thing that just appears? I mean, it's some kind of wonderful emotion that's either there or isn't there? Yes or no? Maybe, maybe not, huh? Y- y'all think I'm getting in too deep for you this morning? Bring it. That's what I love to hear. According to Scripture, in life of the believer, love is an act of the will. We choose to relate to God and to other people in a loving way. We choose to love. God chose to love us, didn't he? Amen? He chose us. We didn't choose him. We choose him now. We choose to follow him. We choose to to be walking with him. But God chose us first because of his unconditional love. He chose to love us when we were unlovable. And still be unlovable many times. No matter how we feel, no matter what emotion we have, we are to love the way God loves us. Christian love simply means that we treat others the way Christ treats us. Man, that we forgive the way he forgave us. I mean, you have a hard time forgiving some people for certain things, don't you? It's hard. But you think about it. How, how we, we nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. We nailed the, the, the Son of God to the cross, but yet God forgave us. Through, through his son, he forgave us. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because God loved us. Let me tell you something. Love requires action. It requires a response. It requires some type of action. But God loved us enough that he sent his own son. Because of his love, there was an action that took place. He sent his son for us and to die on the cross. Now, let me re- re- give you something else. The virtues of love found in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You know these verses. We're, gonna, we're not talking about them in the marriage class. Don't you worry. But listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's the key. Love never ends. Amen? Man, isn't that great? Those are the words out of the Bible. That's God's word. To love God and to worship and serve Him is the highest privilege that we can have. Man, there's nothing better than loving God. There's nothing better than worshiping God. And when we, the Lord commands us to love, he's inviting us to do the best thing for us. And he wants us to love other people because that's the best thing for us. That's where unity comes in. But our love for God must involve the completeness of the inner person. It says in Scripture, we are to love with all our hearts, soul, minds, and all our strength. Not just part of it, all of it. This phrase simply means that we love with everything that's within us. We give total devotion to God the Father. We give total devotion to the Lord. When we find the love of our life, when we think about it, man, when I found Patty, when you find the love of your life, when you find that first baby for the first time, when you look at the things that, and watch these children grow, we often use this phrase, I love you with all my what? All my heart. What does that mean? I love you with all of my heart. That's not just I love you. That's I love you with all heart. What does that mean? To the moon and back. Huh? It's deep, right? It's deep. What does that mean? It's deep. It's a deep emotional love that we have for someone. It's the kind of love that God desires with all our hearts. What he says, he goes, into, he goes to the core. Let me tell you something. The heart is the center of the person's body. The heart is the focal point. The heart is the, the motor that drives the body. The heart is what, when the heart quits beating, what happens? It's over with. 
The heart is the center of the focus. God says he wants us to love us with all his heart. That's what he desires. So how often should we talk about this kind of love? Man, it says every day, Brother Kerry, we set aside 30 minutes every night. Man, we do, we do some devotional every single night with our family. We set aside 30 minutes. We read the Bible. Boom, we're off to bed. Or I, we get up. We do some devotion time in the morning. We say, I do 30 minutes of devotion every single day. You believe that? That's what we say. What, how often? What does the Bible say about this, all right? Parents are to teach God's commandments regularly to their children in everyday events of life. It's good for families to read devotionals. It's good to have dedicated Bible time. It's good to have prayer time. I'm not saying that's wrong because I've been preaching that you need to be doing that, right? And this is good that we do that, all right? But these things need to be combined with a powerful witness of a godly lifestyle that incorporates God's word in a daily routine. Amen? Amen. Every day. God wants all of us. He doesn't just want us on Sunday. He doesn't just want us on Wednesday night. He wants us all throughout the week. We had to make this a lifestyle issue. Verse 7 says to repeat these words to your children. Just in case you missed it, repeat these words to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. Talk about them when you walk on the road, when you're on your way to school, when you're heading to that sporting event. Now, let me tell you something. Sporting events are important because I've been involved in them. Man, you want to make sure, you know, you need to be back. You know, I, can I call you out, William, or not? Man, William was coaching from the stands, Lauren, at the game Tuesday night. And I'm thinking, I remember that. I remember being a coach on the field, listening to parents coach, you know, and I remember being in the fan coaching. But let me tell you something. It's good to coach, but it's also good to teach, and it's good to invest, all right? <clears throat> The Bible tells us the primary role of home is to foster gospel evangelism and to disciple our children, to invest in them. We want to invest in them. We want to teach them everything they need to know about life, but we also want to teach them about what Jesus wants them to do. Moses doesn't just tell his children, his people. Moses didn't just say, hey, take your kids to the synagogue so that they can get some training. He doesn't say take them to church. So they can get their training. He says you got to start at home. He says, tell them that children are to be taught at home. This is where children learn to stand against the pressures of the world. Let me tell you something. There's some pressure in the world. Amen? It's pulling our children. God, Satan is attacking the family. He's attacking the home. He's trying to get the children. He's distorting God's message. And he wants to disrupt the family. He wants to destroy the family. This is where children learn at home to handle the pressures of the world. Here's something. Christianity is not a Sunday school lesson. It's a lifestyle. And I'm going I'm to hit some toes on this one. And it's my own a lot. But let me tell you something. It's not a hit or miss lifestyle. Christianity is a full-time lifestyle. It's not a Sunday lifestyle. It's not just to be honest with you. Let me tell you something. There was a time in my life when I didn't think Christianity was a full-time lifestyle. It's hard for me to swallow that one. And there's times in my life when I missed opportunities to teach my children. Missed opportunities I'll never get again. But let me tell you something. Discussing the truth should be an everyday part of every life without exception. No exceptions. So why does God want us to wholeheartedly be committed to him? Why does he want us to commit our whole body to him? He wants to inhabit our lives. He wants to come inside of us. He wants to live inside of us. He wants to dwell inside of us. He wants us to be part of every single thing that we do. Man, let me tell you something. You, you go to God when you have a big problem, but he wants to be involved in everything. 
He wants to be involved in the, the good times and the bad times. He wants to be involved in the big and the small. When our heart is completely his, when we seek his mind, when we obey his leading, and we remain open to his plan, that's when he reveals himself to us. That's when he shares his plan for our lives. That's when he helps us to move forward. All right? Listen up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let me tell you something. Love is a key word in this passage. Love is a key word. And I told you that one was a key word. But let me tell you, there's another word, a three-letter word that is very important in this passage. And it's the word all. He says the word all. When we love our Heavenly Father with all that we are. Let me tell you something. Everything else falls into place. Amen. Man, when you love God, when you make him the priority, when you make him the focal point, all these other trivial things aren't so big anymore. They all seem to fall into place. Now, is it is he answering every prayer? God hears every prayer. He answers them in his time, okay? But he hears every prayer. God loves us unconditionally. Man, he loved us unconditionally. He loved us so much that he offered heaven as a free gift. It's something that we don't deserve. It's something that we didn't earn, but he offers us us anyway. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, should not perish, would not perish, but they would have eternal life. That's how much God loved us. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man, man is a sinner and cannot save himself. I tell you that every week because we are all sinners. We need a father. We need a sacrifice. We need a Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. Romans 3.23 says this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. None of us are exempted, for, uh, exempted from sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God. We can't get to him because of sin. He can't get to us. He can't look upon sin. So there had to be a sacrifice made. There had to be something to remove that barrier. And he sent Jesus Christ to remove that barrier. Romans ten thirteen says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's one of my favorite passages of scripture in all the time. Because it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your track record is. It doesn't matter where you've been, how you stood, how you didn't stand for him. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will forgive you, and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, let me tell you something. we got a lot of guests with us today, but let me share with you something. When our time is over on this earth, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and eternity is too long to be wrong. We're either going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ the Father, Christ the Son, and Christ the Holy Spirit, or we're going to spend eternity completely separated from all of those. And that eternity is just too long to be wrong. Maybe today you want to make sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And without a shadow of a doubt that he is the one true God in your life. This morning we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And we'll have a time when you can, when I'll tell you more about Jesus. But let me read one verse of scripture to you. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you open up your heart and you invite him in and you make him the Lord of your life and you turn it over to him, he is just and he will save you. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation and I'll be down front. If you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, I'd love to share him with you more this morning. Our deacons are here with you this morning. If you need prayer, if you want to come to the, to the altar to pray for any reason, whatever you have, something that's on your mind, something you want to lay at the feet of Jesus, 
bring it to the altar. And our deacons are here to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Whatever the time is, whatever the situation is, whatever the thought is, whatever you have on your heart, this moment of, of dedication that we have, this time of, of reflection that we have is strictly between you and God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever decision you need to make, this is your time to set aside for you. Father God, I come before you with a humble heart. God, I thank you for this the opportunities that you give us, and I thank you for the promises that are in your word. And God, I'm especially thankful for the love of Jesus Christ and the love that you have for us. Father, I'm thankful for the fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for me and all those who call upon his name. And Father, if there's one person that sounded my voice that does not know you this morning as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, Father, for whatever the, the need is, for whatever the burden is, whatever the thoughts that are on their heart, God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would overpower the sanctuary and that we would feel your presence this morning like never before. God, we lift up your name and we praise you. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.